speakers, people who study. I figure eventually you'll get tired of me coming up here. <laughs> but I'm always glad to come. I would come without speaking. I tell him that every time. But nevertheless, we're here this morning, and it's good to see many people that I know from years gone by. One of the most interesting stories last night, as last year, we got to know the Begays from Georgia. Her maiden name was Peacock, and her father was the pastor of a church. What was the name of the church? And as I was touring the country in the 80s, talking about the Christian school battle in Nebraska, I preached in, the, in her father's church. And uh, when I heard her maiden name, I said, I was in that church. I remember that. So I asked her last night, and she said she remembered. And her husband said she has an excellent memory. So... I've tried. <laughs> I tried to give this message a title. Brother Bob asked me what it was. I said, I don't know. But folks, as I remember a year ago when I was here, I was a lot more optimistic than I am tonight or this morning. I look back and I see when Christ came upon the scene 2,000 years ago, the situation was similar to ours. The land of Palestine had been cleansed and possessed by the anointed seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In less than 200 years, the nation of God's people had been taken over by the enemy. The synagogue, or the churches, as you want to call them, had been taken over by the same people. I remember the story of Jesus in Nazareth as he began to speak, and they got so upset with him, they drug him out of the church or the synagogue where they were meeting and tried to stone him and throw him over the cliff to kill him. I remember what it was like when I came to this message. Brother... Uh, Gaiman was one who stood to encourage me. So did Pastor Peacock. But I got a call one day from a group down south. I was in, in Nebraska. I got a call from a group down south called Baptist for the Premillennial Return of Christ. And they said, we have you as a member on here. Do you still believe in the premillennial come of Christ and the rapture? And I said, no. And they said, well, then there's no use you being a member. We'll take you off. I've been in several places where I've been asked to leave. The Jews had a strange hold on the people. We're not about to let go. But for the first time in my lifetime and in the history that I can remember, I'm actually receiving news video where people around the world are giving us the true history of the current people who call themselves Jews. That's a miracle. 
When Russia went into the Ukraine, you have to remember that the original name of the Ukraine was what? Khazar, Khazaria. That's their home. Unfortunately, they controlled our government and they took our money and they built laboratories under the ground where they developed the so-called SARS virus so they could give you the poison jab. Now, I understand you had a fellow yesterday that gave you all this, so I'm not going to belabor it. But the Jews were in bed with the Roman government, and Christianity was a new religion and rejected by the Jews and thus by Rome. And the Jews of that time were convinced that Jesus Christ might really be the new king, but they were pretty sure that his kingdom did not include them. So he had to die. I want you to know that all of this was prophesied. So I'm going to start this morning by reading from Ezekiel chapter 4, if you want to go there. And we'll read the first six verses. Thou also, son of man, take thee a tile. Are you surprised they had tile? How many of you have been to the Holy Land, or so-called Holy Land, in Jerusalem? How many of you have been there? Any of you? Well, good. You don't have to bother to go. It's not really worth that much. I've only been there, my, my wife and I got to go free. All expenses paid. And they took us over to Masada, where the last stand of the Edomites against Rome. And it was beautiful. You could see the baths. They had running water. They had electricity. They had all the things you don't think they had. They had tile, beautiful tile. But the Lord said to Ezekiel, I want you to take a tile and lay it before thee and portray upon it the city even Jerusalem, and lay siege against it, and build a fort against it, and cast a mount against it, set the camp also against it, and set battering rams against it round about. Moreover, take thou unto thee an iron pan, and set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city. I don't know if you know this or not, but when the Romans took the city of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem had a concrete or block wall around it, and the Romans came in and built another wall around the city. So if you got out of the first wall, you got trapped in the second wall, and that's where you were killed. Face it, and it shall be besieged, and thou shalt lay siege against it. This shall be a sign, underline these words, this shall be a sign to the house of Israel, that's us. Better pay attention, because he's going to give us a sign of our demise. Lie thou also upon thy left side, 
and lay the inquiry of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of days that thou shalt be upon it, thou shalt bear their iniquity. For I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity according to the number of the days, 390 days. Remember that. Underline it. I'm going to come back to it. Verse 6, And when thou hast accomplished them, lie again on thy right side, and thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. Forty days. I have appointed each day for a year. This was what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 23 and 24. He said, as he was on the mountain and he was getting ready to go down and talk to the apostles about the destruction of the temple. And he looked out over the city and he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered thee under my wings as a chicken gathers her chicks, but you would not. Therefore, this day is, thy, is your city become desolate. From that date, and there are people who have worked out the exact date, and I didn't write it down. I didn't think that was the important thing. But from that date until Titus came to destroy the city was exactly 40 days, 40 years. Came in 70 A.D. When Jesus made that comment about the chicken and bringing her chicks in, it was in 30 A.D. Add 40 years and you have 70 A.D. And Titus came in and destroyed the city. Now the reason I'm going through this is because I want to get to the sign for Israel. If it's going to affect me, I want to know why. And he said that it would be 390 years. How long was it before Ezekiel said that until Jesus came? Several hundred years. So what this effect of Israel will be later. Israel, from the time it was taken into captivity and scattered, was not a nation. Until one day, the pilgrims loaded onto a ship in Holland. And their pastor, Pastor Robertson, came out. And he read the scriptures about the kingdom of God. And he prayed for them and said, You are going to America to establish the kingdom of God. Where did they land? Over there in Maryland, in that area. What did they call it? Plymouth Rock. This is the rock of Jesus. This is the rock of God. This is the rock upon which the kingdom is to be built. And from that time until their time runs out will be 390 years. 
What year was that? 1620. 1720, 1820, 1920, 2010. What happened in 2010? Barack Obama was the first non-Israelite to sit on the president's throne. It was that year that God said, okay, Israel, your time has come. You've turned me away long enough. You've rejected me long enough. You've disobeyed me long enough. You have violated my law long enough. And Obama came to power. And he was the destroyer. Talked about in Revelation where it says, and there would be four horses. There would be a white horse. There would be a red horse. And there would be a black horse and a pale horse. The white horse... Many people try to figure out what that is. I'm not sure what it is, but the others I know what they are because it says it. The second horse is red because it's the horse of war. Our country became the most violent, vile, killing machine of people around the world under Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. People from all over were killed by us. The next that follows is going to be the killing and the dying because of famine. Are you finding that there are things in Walmart that aren't on the shelf anymore? Did you read the other day where the railroads have now said to the fertilizer people, we don't have enough cars. You're not going to get the cars. You're not going to be able to ship the fertilizer right in the middle of planting season. And it's going to make the crop failure to be very large. Folks, I'm telling you that unless God gives us some way out of this trouble, this time next year, many of us in this room will not be able to travel to this meeting and we'll not be able to have food to eat and put on our tables. And people all over this world are going to die. Then it said there was a fourth horse, was a pale horse. And the pale horse is going to be even worse than the others because it includes war. It includes famine. But it's got one added element. The killing people, the killing machine will use beasts you say they're going to throw us to the lions? No. Who are the beasts in the Bible? That's right. They are going to eventually drive our nation, if they can, into a race war. I wish I didn't have to tell you this. But I'm going to tell you why. And this is not the pleasant part. And I told Brother Gaiman, I said, I apologize for bringing this message because I don't know that it applies to everybody from this church. This is one of the best churches I've seen around. And I think God has some people in this world 
and in this country that are his, that are doing right, that are living right, that are anointed, and they'll be protected. That's what I think. I want you to know that I'm very discouraged with our people as a whole. You know, when Jesus said that Judah would be destroyed and the Romans came in and tore down the city, not one Christian died in that battle. And the reason was is because they were a part of the local body under the authority of pastors, apostles, evangelists, and teachers. And they knew that Jesus had told them, when you see them circle the city, get out. And they did. In fact, I think this has been taught several times here, so I'm not saying anything new. But when they circled the city, the Christians that were on the inside began to pray and say, Lord, we know that you want us to get out. Now, how do we do it? And the next day or two, Titus pulled his soldiers back. Nobody knows for sure why they did it. But when he pulled them back, the Christians got out. Amen. Let me tell you, I think if our people had been in that place, many of them wouldn't have known about it because they didn't go to the meetings. They don't want to go to church. They don't want to be under a pastor's authority. They don't want to be under the laws of God. They don't want to be a part of a structured program. Well, let me tell you, let me ask you a question. If you can't stand the organization, the authority, and the ritual of a church, how in the world are you going to live in a kingdom? The reason that Jesus and was able to bring his people to victory over the Roman Empire in less than 300 years is because they stuck together. They went to church. They gathered on the Sabbath day, whatever that day was for them. And they learned and they knew what was taking place. They were told what they could do and what they should do and where they should go and where they should be and how to be helped. That's what happens here. And I like that. I don't know how many of you knew this, but in the first hundred years of the church, or maybe 200 years, the idea of being a martyr was so prevalent and so publicized and so lifted up that they had a problem. They had teenage girls and boys running into the fires to die as martyrs. They actually had to call a church council meeting and tell the people, if you volunteer to die, it's not martyrdom. If they drag you in and burn you, praise God, you'll be a martyr. But if you walk in there and you jump in on your own, it don't count. Now, we got a few around today that they think that's the way you do it. You go in and jump, you know, in the fire. 
we were coming out here this morning and we got pulled over by one of your nice, wonderful policemen or patrolmen or something on Highway M. And my wife says, what am I doing? Did I speed? No, didn't speed. Well, what did we do? He came around and he was a very friendly guy. And he said, uh, you can kind of waddling over the middle, middle yellow line and that's against the law, you can't do that. And I thought I better pull you over to see if anybody had been drinking. But I can see nobody in this pickle is, is drinking. <laughs> he said, where are you going? I said, we're going to the Church of Israel. Oh, okay. And he let us go. He said, have a nice day. We told him, have a nice day. We didn't say, oh, you have no right to shine. Just turn us over. You have no right to do this. Yes, this is this violation of the Constitution. I got freedom. No, that's jumping in the fire. I even looked at him and I said, thank you for doing your job. There might be a drunk out there someday that he's going to catch. And that'd be great. But to too, too many of today's believers do not strive to keep the bond of the Spirit until we have the bond of unity of faith. Most of you have never read this. Or some of them haven't. Ephesians 4, 3 says, Endeavor, Paul says, Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace Amen. till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We don't all know the same thing at the same time. So many of today's believers are worldly, live without the righteousness of Christ. Many believers today don't want, to, want preaching. They don't want you to name sin. I had somebody recently, I was preaching somewhere, and I was naming a whole bunch of sins that CI people tend to, tend to live in. And afterwards, they said, you shouldn't do that. You'll make people mad. I said, good, I hope they're mad. If they're mad, I'm glad. You know, when God says to keep his law, I'll give you an example. The first law we're not supposed to violate is, thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Amen. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but part of the meaning of that passage and that commandment is thou shalt have no other priorities in your life above Amen. me. And I don't care what church you go to, they all violate this one. Our people, their people, we all have priorities. Making a living, raising a family, making money, keeping their money, pleasure, baseball, hockey, whatever. Some of those things in themselves are not sinful, but when they become a priority over what we are supposed to do for God and for His worship and His gathering and His, His uh, kingdom, then we sin against God. How many of you have ever heard of the movie called Chariots of Fire? Oh, yeah. Amen. If you haven't seen that, you need to see it. Yeah. One of our good old lame old Saxon boys was running <laughs> long race, yeah. and he was good. Yeah. 
and they set the race day for the tournament on Sunday. Now, I realize you all meet on Saturday. They set it on Sunday. And he said, I can't run on Sunday. That's my Lord's day. I give that day to the Lord. I can't run. His greatest opponent was a Jew. He said, good, we'll do it without you. But when the board went together to vote on it, they voted not to have it on Sunday. You can watch the movie and find out how it ended, okay? Many have Hollywood, sports idols. Nothing shakes me up in my spirit more than to walk into a Christian's home and see a picture of Batman on the wall. Or see a picture of, what's his name, Mr. America, or I don't even know what to call him anymore. Those things that turn from a man to a car to a car to a man and whatever that is. I mean, who wants to believe that junk? How do you think those movie makers are getting rich? Do you think they're getting rich off of the lost and ungodly? No, they're getting rich off of God's people. That's what they're doing. No idols, no images like anything on earth. Bearing the name of God in vain means we cause no one to think about God except by our color, white, and they hate it. I could go on with a lot. But, for instance, the one thou shalt not steal. I do want to say a word about this. In Malachi 3.8, we won't talk about stealing from one another or from other people in the world. We all know that's wrong. But in Malachi 3.8, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. We are cursed. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. One of the things that I found when I transitioned from being a Baptist minister to a CI preacher, people are gracious, people love you, they want to help, and they want to support you. Amen. And a lot of people divide up their tithe and try to support many people. And that's always been acceptable, but I, I have a suggestion. My wife will probably get on to me when I get home about this, but that's all right. If you're a member of this church, your tithe belongs to this church. Now, if you want to take an offering above the tithe and send it to someone, that's one thing. But we need to be in a church where we can put our feet and our heart and our mind and every part of us behind the dollars we give to help make the church effective in our community. Amen. Somebody said, well, in that case, we'll all stop sending our part of the tithe to you. You'll go broke. You'll go out of business. I said, I'm not in business. I'm in God's business. I believe that one of the things that we're going to see, I'm already seeing it, 
I believe that one of the signs that God's about ready to judge His people is that He withdraws the message. He limits the message. Uh, we just got an email this week from Dave Barley. He's not going to be able to come to our conference and preach this year because of his health. He had a heart attack. He had another stroke. And he's not doing as well as he'd like to. Brother Dan and I, we're almost shaking hands with the undertaker, you know. What? <laughs> I take that back. I'm the one that's shaking hands with him. <laughs> We've seen it in our ministry. When I married my wife, we were ministering to less than 100 families. I'd gone for three years with a wife that was sick, wasn't able to do the work. Since she's been my wife, about two years ago, we reached a high of almost 500 families. But in the last two years, we've lost over 100 of those. Either they've died, or they've moved away, or we told them they had to come up here. <laughs> and that's okay, that's okay. But you say, well, what are you going to do? I don't know, I'll do whatever God wants. I've said this all my life. God limits or enlarges my ministry based on the money that comes to our ministry. If we get more money, we enlarge. If money decreases, we start taking people off the list. I don't know what you guys spend on postage, but ours is outrageous. Yours must be double outrageous. <laughs> But I believe we're on God's, I believe that God's timeline is what I've given you. I believe that when Barack Obama came to power, that was the sign. The same sign, it's the same sign he gave to Judah when Herod came to power. Herod was the first non-Israelite to rule over the house of Judah. Barack Obama was the first non-Anglo-Saxon to rule over Israel. And I believe that God allowed it because his people as a whole have become so corrupt. I'll close with this one illustration. I live in the town where I grew up and went to high school. I tell young people I graduated from high school two years before the flood. But <laughs> <clears throat> next door to us, there was a lady whose husband had passed away, and they were very active 
members in the First Baptist Church, Southern Baptist Church of Houston, Missouri, church where I was baptized as a young boy after I came to Christ. We were talking one day, and I was talking about that. That was when, they, when Obama was running. And I said, we're in trouble. And she said, yeah, we are. I said, you can't vote for Obama. He's not one of us. Oh, she said, well, I'm going to vote for him. I said, I don't want to be angry, and I don't want to insult you, and I don't want to call you names or anything, but I would really like to understand why you would vote for him. You, know, you want to know what her, her answer was? Because he told us that if he doesn't get elected, the Republicans are going to take away his, her Social Security. Maybe we'd be better if they did take it away from us. We might have to depend on God. And sure enough, enough of God's people voted that man in. He's not a man. But folks, unless, unless somehow, unless somehow God's people wake up, and not only wake up, but repent and get out of the churches and fire the preachers. And I was talking to a Brother Larry McCurry back there, and he had a friend that went to a church who was going to give him one of Dan Gaiman's books. He went to see the preacher and said, I'd like to give this book to your people. And the preacher said, well, I can't let you do that until I go to the board. I can't do anything unless I get approval from the board. And said, I can't even say anything about homosexuals because one of my board members has his homosexual son. Folks, that's where we are. Father, thank you for calling us. Lord, I'll tell you one thing for sure. If we have to get every doctrine right, 100%, some people get all bent out of shape if we don't use the word of Yahweh. Some get bent out of shape if we don't believe in certain things. But, Lord, I know that none of these things have anything to do with our eternal life. Amen. Yet they claim they do. And they keep us divided. Father, I pray that you would be merciful. We certainly are sinners. We certainly deserve your judgment. But Father, we want so badly for you to be our king. There are some of us in this country, in this world, who love you and want you as our king and your law is our law. And Father, I pray that if you bring your hand of judgment upon America, that you would spare in your grace those who love you and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.